0: let's go ahead and pray. Welcome, you guys, and uh, we we'll get into our study. Jesus, thank you so much for your Word, and that it never turns back void, that it accomplishes its purpose in our lives, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword, that it is absolute truth, that it's infallible, Lord, that it's your love letter to us as your creation. And Lord, thank you so much for just um, what you have for us, God, and The future of being with you lord and uh, father i just pray for um, uh, the pastors in ukraine and uh, russia that you would just strengthen your church so we pray for the underground church lord Um, pray for those that are uh, missionaries lord that you would be with them provide for them Uh, lord pray for um and his family in el salvador that you would provide for them, God, and the house that they need. Thank you for the privilege that you give us to always lift up these people to you, Lord, that the church is not about a building. It's not about music. It's not about um, sound and all these different things that we get caught up in sometimes. It's about um, your body, Lord, and being in the whole world. Um, And so just praise you and give you all the glory, Lord. Um, Again, just pray for those who need healing, Lord, that are sick and uh, just pray for Roy, Lord, as he's healing from knee surgery, that you would just touch his body, Lord, help him with the pain. I know it's really bad right now, and thank you, Lord, so much. That's such an answer to prayer, Lord, that he is finally able to have surgery on his leg, Lord. Uh, just be with him and his family as they go through this uh, transition of healing, Lord. Uh, just thank you so much, Lord. We lift up the children's ministry today also, God, that you would just uh, teach the children and um, just be with those that teach them, God. And uh, Lord, we pray for um, all of and the schools, and uh, Lord, we just lift up the community and that you would do a radical transformation, Father, in the lives of men and women in this community. God, it's, it's the transformation in people that changes a community, and uh, we just thank you for that, Lord. Thank you that you are always at work. Thank you that you are the God of all of Hurst, Lord, that you are on your throne and you have all authority, Lord. And we just praise you and we look forward to seeing what you will do through your body, Lord. Not just in all of hers, but in the whole world. Just thank you and give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're continuing through um, our study in the epistles of John. Um, by way of reminder, John's writing to uh, believers in Jesus Christ. Um, at the time, there were Gnostics that had risen to... Um, a place of influence in the public, and so all throughout 1 John, we are reading about the difference between what a Christian looks like in their life and what a non-Christian looks like, Um, and he just continues to build on this truth, and it's important in our lives that we um, use the Word of God to discern uh, what is true and what is untrue, especially nowadays. And it was this way when the Bible was written. And even more now, it's like uh, truth is false and false is truth. And there's so many opinions that are out there and so many different things that are politicized and that are pushed towards us from media. And, uh, you know, it's like, well, what are we to believe nowadays, you know? And so we're going to kind of talk about that today. But beginning in 1 John 4, verse 1, um, I'm going to read 1 John 3, verse 24, to kind of give a basis of what John's speaking of in uh, 1 John 4, verse 1. It's a continuation, in a sense, of what he ended off with in uh, chapter 3. So 1 John uh, chapter 3, verse 24 says this, Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him, and by this we know that he abides in us. By the Spirit whom He has given us. So John ends with, by the Spirit whom He has given us. And that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is deposited into a Christian when they believe um, on the Lord Jesus Christ, making Him the God of their life. The Holy Spirit enters into a believer. um, And so we have the Holy Spirit that lives in us. And so in first John chapter four, verse one, he says, Beloved, again he's speaking to the Christians, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And so he's laying the the he's 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 pulling back the veil and, and speaking truth into the reality that there are false preachers and teachers in the world then and even now. Just because somebody says God or Jesus or the church doesn't mean that they actually have the Holy Spirit living inside of them and doesn't mean that they are actually Driven by the Holy Spirit. They can even talk about the Bible and read the Bible, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the true and living God lives inside of them. And so John's setting the the, the tone here for what he's talking about is that, um, and, and having mentioned, like I, I said, having mentioned the Holy Spirit in, in, in 1 John 3 uh, verse 24, John brings to mind that there are other spirits out there in the world and that the children of God need to be warned against them. So John cautions the believer not to trust every spirit. And the word spirit here could possibly refer primarily to teachers, but not exclusively to that. Do not believe every person that is out there speaking about God. Just because someone says things about God, the Bible, or Jesus does not mean they are a Christian even they say even if they say they are a christian does not mean they are a child of god i didn't put this in my notes but if you go and you read the testimony of the man the demoniac when when jesus comes to shore the demoniac comes and he actually speaks the name of who jesus is and speaks of jesus's authority but he was recognizing because he knew who jesus was that he is god and lord of all things he didn't proclaim who jesus was as the deity that that he worshiped, okay? So even demons know who Jesus is. They know his authority. They know who he is. And so it's important for us as Christians to know who Jesus is and also to know that there are other um, entities out there that will proclaim who Jesus is but not really be filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse two, John continues, says, by this, you being Christians, know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. I love it. There's a litmus test here, okay? It's not just, oh, you know, how are we going to find out the spirit that's, you know, in this person? I don't know. God gives us a litmus test. And the litmus test is, Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. It's so important for us. And a lot of times as people who attend church or believers, we can gloss over the the statement of Jesus Christ, but, but, but we have to understand that the name of Jesus and having Christ there, it's proclaiming his name, given name by the the angel that told Mary, hey, you're gonna name your son Jesus. But then Christ is his deity, the Messiah, the, the one who would come in flesh to set the world free from sin and death. And so when we see in verse two here, where John's saying every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, he's saying, look, if, the, the importance is, is that a person or a thing needs to recognize that Jesus is the Messiah and that he literally came in the flesh. If you dialogue with other uh, people of different religions, again, I tell you this all the time, that the issue is Jesus. Who is Jesus? Okay, there's other religions that are out there, cults that are out there. They believe that Jesus is not God, that he was born of God. Okay, there's a difference. They separate the deity of Jesus. Jesus always was. You go to John chapter one, in the beginning was the word, where it says the word there, it's speaking of Jesus himself. Jesus is synonymous with God himself. They are one. They existed in the same timeline. They always were. And then we know here that John's speaking of, look, Jesus literally came in the flesh. And so there were people who recognized that Jesus came in the flesh and that it was God incarnate, God, fully God and fully man. And then there's people who, like we had talked about before the Gnostics, disregarded Jesus as actually being God. So John's continuing to say, look, this is the litmus test. Verse three, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. It's black and white. And this is the spirit of the antichrist. It's interesting that John continued, that that spirit is mentioned there, which, and he says, which we have heard was coming and is now already in the world. So even, and remember that John was an eyewitness of Jesus. So this isn't long timeline after Jesus Christ walked the earth. John was an eyewitness, an apostle. He was an eyewitness of Jesus. So even then, so quickly, even then the Antichrist was there, the spirit of the Antichrist. Those who crucified Jesus, they had the spirit of the Antichrist upon them. They wanted to shut Jesus up even when he uh, he came into Jerusalem riding on the donkey. They said, hey, tell all of your people to be quiet, please. He said, even the rocks would cry out if these would not. I think of that stone that's holding the door open, a rock crying out. You ever looked at a rock and you can stare at all you want, but it's not gonna say anything to you. But because of who Jesus is, all of creation speaks of who he is. Like even if those people didn't proclaim who he was, it was the day that he was revealed of being the Messiah. And even if they hadn't done it, the rocks would have cried out. I mean, I, I take God's word literal for that. the deity of Jesus would be proclaimed even if people couldn't proclaim it. He's so powerful. So John's telling them, he says, and and, and for verse two and three, everyone that agrees and believes the fact that Jesus Christ is a Messiah is what he's saying in verse two, that word where it says, um, uh, by this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses, that word confess, it means believe. It means to literally agree with. Not just that man named Jesus was born, but that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, that Jesus Christ is Lord. The person that confesses Jesus Christ will bow down to worship him and make him the God of his life, will literally bow down to Jesus. Verse three, we see that those that do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord as him being God incarnate, as him being the Messiah, as him being the savior of the world who do not bow down to him. They do not have the Holy Spirit and so they have the spirit of Antichrist. It's fascinating how black and white it is. And you know what? Um, Gene and I are watching something uh, at Jack Hibbs Church right now. It's the, the Futurist Conference. If you want to go check it out, it's been really good. And um, uh, their youth pastor, has been their youth pastor for 20 years. Um, he, he made mention that, um, you know, you don't really love somebody until you speak truth to them. Like we can, we can gloss over things in the Bible, but if we gloss over things in the Bible when it doesn't feel comfortable and we hide those from people, then we're really not loving people, you know? Some of the, some of the hardest things that I've had to hear from people in my life have been the most loving things that they've ever told me because it changed my life. See, without truth being spoken to us, we're gonna be on a trajectory of our own destiny And we're sinful people and we need God to help direct our lives. We need God to change our life. We need to know what that's like. And I love how John, the Holy Spirit allows John to write these specific things so we understand what we are to follow Verse four, he he continues, said, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them. In other words, overcome them, which he was speaking of, uh, those who were filled with the spirit of Antichrist. You have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. This is the most amazing scripture that any believer can hold their life on that he who is greater in you is greater than all the things that this world portrays as being great. They are nothing in comparison to the one that lives inside of a Christian. That can translate to issues in your life, uh, problems with people. It can translate to all of those things. And we just folk, Lord, greater are you in me than, than, than he that's in the world. Greater are you in me than the things that I'm dealing with in my life. It's such a proclamation because if you look in the flow of the scripture, the Holy Spirit's allowing John to uncover the seriousness of this power that's in the world. And then we see in verse four here that who is in you and me as Christians is greater than all of that. What we gain through our relationship with God is absolutely awesome and magnificent and powerful. And anything that teaches us or shows us or wears down on our mind that causes us to think that who is in us is less than, I would almost venture to say that Satan and his demons trying to distract the truth that the true and living God that lives inside of us is the greatest, most powerful thing on this earth. And that's why he calls the church, the people that believe in him to be witnesses to him. We'll get into that more here about what the body of Christ is to be like. See the Holy Spirit who is God literally lives in you and I as believers, making us one with God, not as God that would be, uh, uh, not, okay, yeah. Making us one with God, not as God, I I forgot a comma, that would be blasphemy, but we are unified with him. He is in us and in him, abiding in him and he in us. And he who is in us is greater than he that is in the world. Go read John 17 and the prayer of Jesus. Man, he speaks about the unity of the believer and him himself being likened to, and I mentioned this a lot lately, being likened to Jesus and God the Father and how they are one. Unseparable is the Holy Spirit in the believer. Listen, if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to become one and receive him as your Lord and Savior. And I say need because you do need to become a Christian if you don't know Jesus already. Because God shaped a hole inside of you that only Jesus can fill. Never be de- and, and, and once the Lord comes and lives inside of you as your savior, never to be deceived again, but to have the true and living God dwell in you forever. We're taught through scripture that the Holy Spirit uh, b- brings us to all truth, brings us to knowledge, gives us discernment. He's our helper. Verse five, John continues, speaking of these other people that are, led by the spirit of Antichrist. They are of the world, therefore they speak of the world and the world hears them. So in other words, those that do not have Christ in them speak of the world or place a great importance on the way of the world and the teachings of the world. I don't know about you, but there is a loud, loud speaker right now speaking of the doctrines of the world to all of society. And I want to preface what I'm going to say next, that I love people. I love people. I love every kind of person. But this spirit that's in the world that speaks of worldly things and that the world hears them did you know that LGBTQ, it's an anti-Christian thing? It's ungodly. The Bible speaks about it. Transgender, it's ungodly. Abortion, it's ungodly. Those three things right there actually are in the face of God saying that what you created is wrong. You go to Genesis and God created man and woman and the first marriage and he said it was good and everything that has to do with the LGBT community and transgender and abortion says what you created, God, is wrong. And that's what it's saying. There's a spirit that is behind that. Now, I am not damning people who live in those things and do those things and are in that lifestyle. I believe God can walk into anybody's life in any lifestyle they're in and transform them instantaneously. But that doesn't mean that these things that they are following were godly. And the world wants to place godliness on things that are ungodly. And so John is saying, look, they are of the world. Therefore, they speak of the world and the world hears them. So the world being outside the body of Christ listens to these things. I shared this testimony a, a long time ago. Gene and I—I'll probably refer to this a lot when I speak about the homosexual community, and LGBT community. And I remember one time I, we lived in Midtown Sacramento, and I'm walking down the street, and there's this young guy on the street corner, and 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 I just talk to anybody—that's just who I am—and I started talking to him, and 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 so. I'm all, how you doing? And he seemed down. And and I said, and so we started talking and, and he was a Christian who had been set free from homosexuality, but decided to go back and have a bad night in his sin. And him and I stood there on the corner, a straight dude filled with the Lord, a gay man who's trying to serve the Lord. And I laid hands on him and we prayed with each other and hugged each other and cried and walked our separate ways. And I was like, wow, God, this is literally in the face of the demonization of mankind and what God wants to set people free from. I didn't, I didn't choose that. But God allowed me to experience the reality of his Holy Spirit in the midst of something that is so screwed up in our society. society. Greater is he who is within me than he that is in the world. If that is like the only scripture you ever memorize the rest of your life, it applies to so many things. You know, I'll even go as further to say that the things of the world that we hear today—global warming, save the planet—do you know that that's the worship of Gaia, the goddess of the earth? The World Economic Forum, it wants one-world government. Do you know it's absolutely against Christianity and it's an antichrist spirit? Look into Klaus Schwab, globalism, a one-world government. All these things are world belief systems that have nothing to do with Jesus Christ. They, in fact, are driven by the spirit of Antichrist. There's a spirit in this world that wants to draw people away and cause them to believe that what they are believing is good, but the reality is is that it causes Jesus to become nothing or just a picture on a wall or just a man that walked the earth. And that is a lie. And that is a lie. And that's not biblical truth. And it's important as Christians for us, first of all, to love people, okay, but yet to know the word of God and to be able to share the truth of God with people, okay? Not bashing people. You don't go around going, oh, yeah, you're you're this and you're that and you're the devil. (laughs) That's just not how we're to be. God calls believers to be loving and kind and full of grace and truth and show mercy and kindness and and to be part of society and to be helpful like Seth and I we you know he's 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 part of the city council in all of hers here and like we mix we rub shoulders in in different places and and we may think differently about things you know but but we both have one agenda for this community to be transformed you know and and for whatever reason him and I are sitting now in the same building you know and, and, and be available. There's, there's, wherever we live, people need to know that Jesus loves them. They need to know that God loves them. That's the biggest thing. It's like God loves people. And it's by his love that causes us to come to him. And when he reveals the truth of our sin in the truth of a holy God and mingled with his love that only the Holy Spirit can do, I can't translate that to you. Only God can translate that to a human being, okay? I can translate criticism and all these different things that I know how to be as a human being. But unless the Lord is mixed in it, I can't translate things well. And the Lord needs to move upon people's life. And that's where prayer comes in. I mean, the amount of depression and suicide that's tied in with LGBT community and transgenderism, it's, it's staggering. It really is. There's no happiness in it. It's just the running of the course of lustful man's flesh. It's all it is. And if I stood up here and said that, hey, I've never dealt with anything immoral before, I'd be a liar. But God can change people. And he does. He's in the business of changing people. Not changing people to condemn them, but changing them so that they're filled with God. We stand condemned already until Jesus is in us. That's what the Bible says. I didn't write it, okay? God just wanted me to stand up before people and talk about it. Verse six, John continues, says, we are of God. He's speaking about them being Christians. We, he who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So John is saying, look, we the apostles who were in fact eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ. We are of God. His spirit lives in us. And those that know God, that have his Holy Spirit living in them, they hear us as well. Excuse me. There is unity in the body of Christ, okay? Those that are not of God do not hear the message from the apostles. Remember, John's writing to Christians when there were agnostics that were preaching a false doctrine at the time. There's a distinction, though, that we have to understand. There's a distinction between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Okay. Verse 7 and 8, John continues, says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now, what he is not saying, he's not saying, love everybody, love for acceptance, love for equality. That's not what he's talking about, okay? I believe God, God looks at all of us, and he sees all of us the same. All of us have fallen short of his glory. All of mankind is in need of a savior. And we we all are literally in desperate need of Jesus to move in our life. Even as we walk as a Christian, it always needs to be true in a believer's life that we stay desperate for Jesus in our life. Because when we become so Christian that we're not desperate for Jesus in our life, then we are relying upon our own strength and not on the strength of the Holy Spirit. And so We see here uh, in John seven and eight, we are to love the way Christ loves. This is a true mark of a believer in Jesus Christ. There is something so unique about Christianity and the love that people in church have for each other. Okay, and yes, church is messy. Church can suck. Yes, church can hurt because there's human beings in it. Okay, last time I checked, we're all messy people. We all have issues. We all say the wrong thing at times. We all get attitudes, and that's where we got to rely on the Lord. And like my the theme that God has in my heart lately is grace and mercy and forgiveness. And it gives room for the Lord to work in people's life, and it gives room for people to want to, want to know Jesus more and walk their walk out with Him. When we get heavy-handed, and unless there's obviously there's a process in the Bible if there's sin in somebody's life and they don't listen and then you bring a witness and they don't listen and then God's pretty serious and says, kick them out of the church. And you say, well, that's pretty harsh. Well, you know what? I, I guarantee the largest growth spurts that you'll have in your spiritual life is when things get really tough. Okay. And if there's real sin issues in your life and God sends one person to tell you and you don't listen, well, that means you just want to keep doing what you're doing. God sends two people as witnesses and you just keep doing what you want to do. That means you really don't want to do what you're doing. Well, then the Lord's like, hey, then you need to, they need to take a time out, okay? So there's steps. It's not just hammer down on somebody, okay? But what I'm, what, I don't know why I went into that, probably because I'm talking about love and grace and mercy and, and we can't just cover everything with love and grace and mercy. There has to be accountability in our life. But John, uh, John again is reminding the believers in verse seven and eight, whom he is writing to that having love for one another is a quality that is in the believer. Again, this is not the way the world loves with fleshly intentions um, or motives or loving just to love. No, this is love. This love is a love that John is writing about is love that comes from God and is placed in a believer. There is a love that believers have that comes from God. What is not being said is that if you love others, you're born of God. Just because somebody's loving doesn't necessarily mean that they are a believer. I have many acquaintances that I don't believe they have a relationship with Jesus, but they're the most loving people in the world and giving. So John's continuing to say that a hallmark though um, in the body is this love. Okay. Um, it is however saying this, that those that are born of God, a person that is born again in Jesus Christ, they have, they have this love in them and they know God. Kevin and I, okay. I know I'm using you as an example, sorry, but Kevin and I have a love for each other and we have bar- we barely know each other. Okay. I have a love for this person. Okay. I love for other believers here. And it's just, it's because of God in, in us. Okay. It's not because like, We went to school together for many years and we had tons of barbecues. There's this love that God puts in the believers, okay? I didn't mean to single him out and then other people in the room. I look at you guys, I'm like, I have love for all you guys. I know, right? Exactly. Sorry. But it's something that magnificent that God does. Verse eight, John, again, he's drawing the contrast between a born again believer in Jesus Christ and a person that is not born again a believer. In other words, he says, he who does not love does not know God for God is love. The statement, God is love. This is not saying that God is loving, okay? That's not what it's saying. I I mean, he is loving, we know that, but this is not saying that God is just loving, okay? Um, We know that he's loving, it's an attribute of him. But what it is saying is that God is the literal embodiment of what true love is, okay? He is love. He is love. Not loving, he is love. Like I am Brian, I'm not Brian, I am Brian. God is love. He's all standards and the epitome of it. No one has ever loved mankind the way God has, ever. No one ever can but he is love. So John's setting the standard of what that love is and that God is love. Verse nine, in this love, in this the love of God was manifested towards us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. So now we see what God's love really is. God is love and here is what God's love looks like. His love was manifested or revealed to us. That's what that word manifested means to all of mankind and the fact that God sent Jesus his one and only son, Jesus Christ to the earth, Jesus who was fully God and fully man that you and I might have eternal life through him. We're not truly living unless we have Christ. Christ gives us a new life. So John is saying here, the love of God was revealed. If you wanna know what God's love is, read scripture pertaining to Jesus, that's God's love for you and I. Verse 10, and this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. There's that word propitiation. So we did nothing to earn God's love. You and I can do nothing to make God love us more than he already does. You're like, Brian, well, I don't feel like loved by God. I got this in my life. I got that in my life. I got these things. I'm working through this. I don't feel like I'm lovable. Well, aren't you glad that God's love for you is not dictated by how you feel about you? I am. Aren't you glad that lo- God's love for you is not dictated by how you are and who you are. Because God's word again says, for all of us have fallen short of his glory. All of us are sinners. Not destined to continue in sin, like what we had, I mean, perpetually sinning, like what we had read about in, 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 in the other chapters of John. In this, the love, not that we love God. So we did nothing to earn God's love. There is nothing you and I can do to gain his love. He already loves you and I and has shown us this love through his son, Jesus Christ. God sent Jesus Christ for the purpose of becoming our atoning sacrifice, the propitiation. That is how God has shown us that he loves us. Paul writing to Titus in Titus chapter three, verse four through seven. But when the kindness and love of God, our savior toward man appeared. So what that is literally saying is that when Jesus appeared on the scene, the literal kindness of God, the literal love of God was revealed to mankind. If you wanna know how God loves you, read about Jesus. I encourage people, read the book of John. It covers his deity, it covers who he is, it covers his life. And then read Luke, if you want a detailed description. He was a doctor, so Luke was more detailed than some of the other gospels. But if you want to know about God's love, it's Jesus. I love that about him. He's not some, you know, lofty dude in the sky that that hides himself from us. There was a period of over 400 years where God didn't speak to his prophets or anything. That would have been weird. You would have had to have memorized the scriptures and put your life literally in it like we do today. But man, God God didn't hide his love from us. He doesn't hide his love from us. It's we who hide from him. We hide from God's love. It started in the garden Okay, Adam and Eve listen to Satan, they sinned. They're like, "Oh, we're naked, we better put some clothes on." And then they hear God walking in the garden, and they hide from him. And I think it's comedy because if God's everywhere at once, omnipotent, omnipresent, all knowing all things, and he asks Adam, "Where are you?" Wait, you're God. Why are you asking where he is? I look at that and I believe that it's because God has a relationship with mankind. He's not one-sided. He wants to communicate with us. He wants to speak with us. He wants to walk with us. He wants us to walk with him. Even in the midst of sin, he's calling out. He knew what happened. He wasn't in the dark. He knew what happened. He knew that what these two human beings, he knew that these two human beings were gonna sin before he made them. And he made them only. And you're like, well, why did he do that? Because for whatever crazy reason, Jesus coming to the earth and dying on a cross and us having this active relationship with God glorifies God because it spits in the face of everything in the world and everything that Satan tries to live for and every demon that says that God is bad and it causes all of creation in heaven and earth to say, wow, God is amazing and he's loving because he loves these horrible little two-legged people that run around and act so selfishly, throughout all of mankind, and God still loves them. And I don't know about you, but I'm right in line with those people. And when we come and live in the fact of how much God loves us in spite of us, it should cause us to worship him And be thankful and say, God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you so much. And just be thankful, man. I don't know about your life, but man, get up in the morning and say, thank you, God, that I'm alive. Thank you, God, that I'm not here where I used to be. Thank you, God, that I have these people in my life. Thank you for loving me. We need to be thankful. There needs to be a torrent of living water inside of us that's thankful and the world looks at us and goes, why are you so thankful? You say, because the God that actually could judge me and put me to hell said that he loved me and set me free from sin and death. And I'm here to share with you the truth that Jesus loves you too. And that's the reality of what God allows to happen on this earth since Adam and Eve sinned. And it's an amazing thing. It's amazing what we gain. And Paul continues, to says in Titus 3, verse 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, back to talking about Jesus being sent as our propitiation. Paul's writing, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regenerating and renewing of the Holy Spirit. It's God's mercy. In other words, you're getting what you don't deserve. That's what mercy is. And he gives us the Holy Spirit. He washes us. How many of you want to be regenerated? I want to be regenerated every single day. We need to be regenerated. We need to live in the reality that there's a regeneration that happens, a renewing of us because we are not in the right state until Jesus lives in us. We're not in the right state. When Adam and Eve sinned, it created a rift between mankind and God for centuries. And then Jesus came and fixed that rift. Verse six in Titus three, continuing on about this propitiation. And, he, and Paul st- continues, he says, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our savior, this love that was poured out upon us. And it's not just a little teeny bit, it's abundantly overflowing, uncomprehensible love. And verse seven, says that having been justified by his grace, in other words, you and I, by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we stand before a holy God justified in his court, even now, and it's by his grace that we should become what? Heirs according to the hope of eternal life. As a Christian, we're not just saved from hell. We're not just set free from the bondage of sin. We're not set, I don't know about you. I'm gonna live eternally, okay? This body's gonna die and I'm gonna be in heaven one day with Jesus for eternity. I don't know about you. Hopefully that's where you're going. We all will live for eternity, some of us will live for eternity with God and some will live eternally separated from God. I hope that you are not the second of those people. But not only that, we are heirs. How many of you have, know what an heir is, right? I got parents, you know, they wrote a will. They got a couple of things. I'm probably gonna get a couple of those things. So is my sister. We're heirs of their royalty But as Christians, we're heirs of the true and living God that created all things and is over all things. It's super magnificent. Are you you really grasping the totality of what we gain as Christians? So then I beg the question is, why do we live our life feeling hopeless, feeling overwhelmed, feeling burdened? Maybe because we're trying to walk this life out outside of the truth of God's word of who we are outside of what Jesus gives us. I woke up this morning, you know, and it was early and I woke up before my alarm. I'm like, that was dumb. But, you know, and I I sit up on my bed and I'm like, Lord, here I am. And I started thinking, you know, Lord, do I need to ask you to fill me for this day? And I'm like, you know, is that, I, I, I don't know, because sometimes I start thinking that, you know, I don't have enough of the Lord in me. But yet scripture tells me that the fullness of God is in me. Like, greater is he who is within me than he that's in the world. But yet in my mind sometimes, I think that that's not real. And I had this dialogue with myself this morning and, and I started reminding myself that, you know what? The Lord lives in me. And so I need to wake up to the reality that I am, that he lives in me and that he's powerful and that he's part of my life. And that it's not something that I have to try and like, um, ramp myself up to, to let's get, I got to, I got to ramp myself up to be godly. I got to prepare myself for the journey. I got to put on my shoe. I got to get on my, you know what I mean? Like when you work out, you got to prepare yourself to work out. When you go to do a job, you got to prepare yourself, right? Mentally. I got to prepare myself for laundry. Sorry. But see, what Scripture says is that God's already done all the work and He's already prepared everything and placed it inside of us. And so my dialogue in my head today was really, do I wake up in the reality that the power of the true living God lives in me or is it something that I have to try and like get moving? Like I, I physically have to get moving nowadays. It seems like 49, my body doesn't just hop out of bed like my kids do. Do you get what I'm saying here, though? Am I making sense? I hope I am. Back to John, 1 John uh, 4, verse 11. John continues, says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It's interesting that he correlates how God loved us as the standard because he loves us. We're to love others. It's not love somebody because you feel like it. And that can really be difficult. But because God has loved us so greatly, we should love those in the body of Christ greatly. We should love those around us. Verse 12, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. So in other words, no, one, no one's seen God, but God was made known through Jesus Christ. Um, God the Father, right? No, no, now Jesus Christ no longer being on the earth physically. We don't have him physically here. So now what happens? How how are people introduced to God? If if Jesus was the example of God's love, right? When he came to the earth and John being an eyewitness was speaking to the Christians at the time and Jesus had already ascended to heaven. So now what? What happens now? How are people introduced to God? So the love that we have for one another in the body of Christ, listen, you guys, is a direct representation of God abiding in us. His love is perfected in us. In other words, it has accomplished its goal in a Christian. And now God uses the life of a believer to show others who he is through how we love each other. I didn't write the plan, God did. Jesus speaking in John, in, in John 13, verse 34 through 35, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, in other words, my followers, if you have love for one another. How do people know that we're followers of Jesus? Because of our barbecues? No. Because I stand up here and talk? No. Because of chili cook-offs? No. That's just to get Seth here. <laughs> <laughs> me is love. <laughs> <laughs> Point <that out>. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> My kids would recognize that. They, if we don't feed them, they probably would think we don't love them. <laughs> but yeah, so it's by our love for each other that God has designed the body for people to see God. Because it's really abnormal for people that aren't of the same family, that aren't of the same neighborhood, that aren't of the same crew to love each other. It's not normal. It's, ab- it's abnormal to the world standard of how we think of things. And I love that about God. He like sparks our interest. Oh, that's weird. Why is that way? Well, let me tell you, because Jesus loves you. Because he put love in our heart for each other. Well, how does that work? I don't know. It's just there. Some things are hard to understand and that's okay. We just need to take them at face value that God loves us and he places his love in us for each other so that the world can see that we're his. Verse 13 in 1 John 4. John continues, by this we know that we abide in him. So he's saying, hey, look, um, if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us, okay, because of uh, when, when we receive Jesus Christ in us, there's the perfect, um, the perfecting of what cr- God's love was through Jesus is perfected in us. Um, but then he continues in that same Thought, verse 13, by this we know that we ab- abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. So there is unwavering confirmation that God abides in a believer and the believer abides in God, and this is through the Holy Spirit. Verse 14, and when we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. So John's proclaiming the facts that him and the other apostles were eyewitnesses of Jesus and that they speak the truth testifying that Jesus Christ is in fact the savior of the world. In 15 and 16, he says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Remember, we, we talked about that already in this section of scripture that the, the, the issue is always Jesus, Verse 16, and and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. So in other words, whoever confesses or in other words, whoever agrees that Jesus is the son of God, okay, being God incarnate, God abides in him and he in God. In Romans, it says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved For it's with your mouth that you confess and with your heart or in in your deepest person that you believe. I love how scripture correlates with scripture. It doesn't argue against itself. So Jesus Christ in 16, Jesus Christ is this love that John speaks of. And he speaks of of knowing and believing in it that through Jesus Christ we know and receive the true reality of God's love for us. The response of the believer is to know and to believe, not just to hear and walk away, but to believe as well. It is not enough to just know, but we need to believe as well. We need to take what we hear of Jesus Christ from the word of God and place it into action in our lives. There is this experiential relationship we have with God Through our belief in Jesus Christ, God abides in us and we in him. It's this unity, it's this action process, this relationship that we have. Christianity is not a religion. I heard somebody speak over the weekend that I was listening to says that the church is a love affair with the true and living God. It's this active love relationship with the God that spoke all things into existence. It's amazing what we gain. Verse 17, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. It's fascinating what the Holy Spirit allows John to write here. God's love has been perfected in the believer's life in such a way that on the day of judgment, which is going to happen when all mankind will be judged by God, In the life of the Christian, God's love has been so perfected, so complete is the love of God through his son, Jesus Christ, that on the day of judgment, we will be found not guilty. We are given boldness in this day of judgment to have absolute confidence and boldness that we are not condemned in our sin, but set free because of the blood of Jesus Christ in such a way that we are we are as he is past the judgment. Christ has passed the judgment. He 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 died on the cross. He, he when he came back to life, he proved that he conquered the judgment of God. The judgment of God of our sin was on Jesus. That's what killed him. And then he comes back to life. He's past that. And we see in the scripture that, that it says that that because he is, so are we in this world. We're, we're, we're where he is. We are past the judgment. Literally, when you become a Christian, you are no longer under the judgment of God in that sense. It's amazing. We are set free in absolute confidence. We're set free and it's because of the blood of Jesus. Even as you and I are here on the earth right now, our future as Christians is just as much a fact as this pulpit or the chairs that you're sitting on. Our future is secured because of what Christ did on the cross, not because we just hear about this, but because we know it and we believe it. So many people can just hear and hear and hear and blah, blah, blah. And the Holy Spirit knocks in their heart, says, hey, I love you. I sent my son to die for you. There's sin in your life and you can't fix it unless I come help you with that. And so many people just walk away from that. We need to keep praying for the salvation of those around us. Keep praying for those that are wayward or backslidden. God's so faithful. He's faithful in my life. I know he can be faithful in your life and faithful in the life of others in your life. Verse 18, John continues, there is no fear in love. I love this. Do you remember the stickers, no fear? I don't know if you were from the 80s or 90s. It was a big thing. I don't know if it is anymore. It's not on TikTok probably, so it's not big anymore. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. So in the context of what verse 17 was talking about pertaining to the day of judgment, John continues to give such substantial truth. The fact that there is no fear in love, we as human beings that have known and believed in Jesus Christ, this love of God that has been poured out upon us, There is no fear associated with this at all. No fear associated with the love of God. His love is perfect, His love casts out all fear. It is only those that do not have Christ in them, those that do not believe in the one and only Son, Jesus Christ, those are the people that will experience true fear fear of being condemned to hell for eternity. All throughout the Bible, Jesus gives notation of it, that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, that there is utter darkness, no light. You think of the saddest thing you've ever experienced in your life or the most pain you've ever had to where your teeth grit, that's what people who don't know Jesus when they pass away will experience forever. Now you have to understand that hell is not designed for mankind. It's designed for Satan and his demons. It's mankind that chooses to deny Jesus and when they pass away, if they haven't received Christ in their heart, they're separated forever. They're, I fully believe that there isn't one person on earth that God has not already spoken to or will speak to. Um, the reason why we're still here as the church is because there's still people that the church needs to minister to about Jesus so that they can be saved from hell. That's the purpose of the church, to, to, to preach the truth of Jesus, to, to, to um, disciple people and grow them in the Lord and send them out to go do ministry. That's the purpose of the church. And obviously the church is still here. And so there's still work to be done because otherwise the rapture would already occur and the church would have no more use in the world and we'd be taken up. Harpazo, caught up. So there's still work to do. There's still work that God wants to do in your life and through your life. If you're a believer, God has a plan to use you in a mighty way. Remember, greater is he who is within you than he that is in the world. And if you're not a believer, then today's a day of salvation for you. God's word says that. Today's a day. This being separated from true love forever. Like I mentioned, it's eternal torment. Those that have this fear, the fear that involves torment, they have not experienced being made perfect in God's love. There's something that God puts in a believer that gives security, that gives a hope and a future. We don't create it. The church service doesn't do that, okay? The preacher doesn't do that. It's the word of God that does it, the power of the Holy Spirit in a believer. We just come together to celebrate the Lord and and to learn from his word. You know, uh, the growth of our relationship in Jesus isn't dictated only by sitting in a church and me reading to you. Please dedicate time in your life to read the word on your own, with your spouse, with your family. Verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. I love that. He loves you before you could love him. And out of this love he has first loved us with comes our responsive love. Paul, writing to the Christians in Rome, gives insight into this love God loved us with before we loved him. And then we'll close after verse 20 and 21, and then we'll get to have chili. Romans 5, verse 6 through 11, Paul's writing, he says, for when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. When that word there, without strength, it means destitute. You ever been, you ever worked so hard that you don't have any strength in you anymore? At 49 years old, when I work on the coffee trailer on out in the sun, all of a sudden it's a hundred outside and it's 110 in the trailer. I'm like, why am I feeling dizzy? Like I'm falling down. (laughs) I'm without strength, dehydrated. But Paul's saying, uh, for when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. In other words, when he died, he died at the perfect time. It was when God ordained him to do so. Verse seven, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die yet perhaps for a good man somebody would even dare to die in other words you know it might barely even happen for someone who's godly but you know for someone you know who's good maybe somebody might die for them i doubt it and he continues in verse 8 of Romans 5 paul writing about christ dying for us he says but god demonstrates his own love towards you and towards me towards us in that while we were sinning while we were taking our middle finger to God and doing the darkest thing that we all absolutely could do, Jesus thought of that on the cross, wore that and bled for it and covered it. Absolutely praise God. It's amazing. That's why Christians are crazy about the Lord because he's given us so much and he set us free while we were doing garbage. We're unworthy of his love. It's amazing what he gives us. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul continues, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. Not just justified, but saved from the wrath. And that's speaking that there will be wrath poured upon the earth one day. And as Christians, we are set free from that. For if when we were enemies, We were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled. We shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. It's something that is given to you by God through your relationship with Jesus, and it cannot be taken away. When Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, when they look at a believer... They see the righteousness of God in them. It's amazing. Praise the Lord, I'm so glad. You kidding me? God sees all of the garbage thoughts in my head, all the things that I intend to do that are wrong. I'm still a sinner, right? And I gotta walk this life out as a Christian and make sure that my life is right. I'm loving my family and I'm not letting the things in my mind that the enemy puts in there and my flesh wants to do to rule my life. And yet God loves me even when all of those things are in me. And he loves you too the same. Closing in this, John continues to write verse 20 and 21. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, it's crazy how he throws this in there, right? This practical thing. And hates his brother, he's a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen. He says, how can... He loved God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, being the Lord Jesus, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Jesus spoke about that. There has to be this reality in a person's life. In other words, we can't say that we love God and not love others. There must be transformation in this area of our lives. There is again this reality that if people say they love God and yet hate their brother, they are lying and the love of God is not in them. They're not a true lover of God. It's black and white. It's a standard that we need to live by, which should, it should convict us and say, oh my gosh, okay, Lord, do it, is, is, there, is there anybody, do I hate anybody? Am I loving people? Lord, what's your standard of loving people? Okay, I don't know how to do that. Lord, help me love people. It's like I share the testimony of this woman who got saved through a Gideon book, and then she thought it was strange, and all of a sudden she started loving people because she always hated everybody. Greater is he who is within you than he that's in the world. And God is greater than your sin. He sent his son to die for us that we might be set free through him. See, there's this action that needs to be placed in our relationship with God. We must be doers of God's word, not only hearers. Not saying praise the Lord and sing worship songs all the time and yet have hatred for somebody in our hearts. John's saying in such practical words here, look, if you can't even love your brothers who you look at, how in the world are you going to love God whom you can't even see? Again, there needs to be evidence in our lives that God is in us. And it's love. And it's amazing. Dear Lord, thank you so much for the hearers here today. And I pray, Lord, that you would just bless them, that you would magnify your word in their lives, that you would take the things that you have spoken to them through your word and that it would be securely fastened to their soul, Lord. Lord, that the reality that greater is he who is within us as Christians is greater than all the things we see in the world. Lord, thank you that in the middle of um, the, the, the proposition that California has on the ballot, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would remove Prop 1. Lord, I pray that you would cause us as Christians to take what we hear from your word and put it into action in the world around us because it's dying to see the love of God that you would give us discernment and the ability to, to communicate with people, Lord, in a loving way, and yet to lovingly communicate truth even when it's difficult. Thank you that you love us, God. Thank you for each and every person. Thank you for the church, Lord, that it's your body and we each have a different role. And I pray that you would stir the gifts up in your body, Lord. And that you would send the people out that need to be sent out. And that you would cause the people to be senders to send, Lord. God, that you would provide in such a great way. Thank you so much, God, that your word never turns back void. And I pray, Lord, that anything that I've spoken, Lord, that's not of you, that it would just burn up, Lord. It would be useless. I pray, Lord, for this food that we're gonna have, Lord that it would nourish our bodies, Lord, that we'd have a good time fellowshipping and enjoying chili. Just thank you so much, God. Bless those who prepared the food, Lord, and I pray that you'd be with those who couldn't make it today. You bless them as well, Father. Thank you for your calling on our lives, and that you love us while we're yet sinners, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.